Apple went and ruined everything, didn't they, with the Thursday event? I know. It was dead. Nobody's going to get. Everybody needs to listen to us because nobody's going to get their ATP until Saturday. Yeah. So they just need to listen to us instead, mm-hmm. and then learn that they never need to listen to ATP again. No, they can just put it lower than us in the priority list. That's what we're saying. Listeners, choose your podcast. Choose wisely. We don't have the Jonathan Mann theme song yet. Yet. We don't need one. We have a Chris Breen original. This is true. We got the Breen original. I, I've had I've had a rash of people who have discovered Clockwise in the last couple of weeks since we've been on Relay ask me if they can get a version of the theme song because so, oh. they want to use it as like an alarm clock sound or a oh, or a ringtone or something. Alarm clock sound. And and the beauty is Chris Breen posted all his theme songs at chrisbreen.com slash music, so you can actually you can download it and use it as a ringtone if you really want to. Never but set that's just kind of funny. Never set the alarm your alarm to a podcast theme song that you enjoy because then I, every I, time mm-hmm. you listen to the show you hate it immediately. Mike, I, I still use one of the classic. We should save this for the show too, shouldn't we? <laughs> I I should I use one of the classic sounds as my alarm clock when I'm traveling, and I, I just did this, you know, when I woke up at 5 a.m. in Montreal, and I never change from xylophone because I despise I despise xylophone. Oh, because now now the the sound of waking up confused and knowing that you've got to get up on three hours sleep is. Oh, <laughs> I'm up! I'm up! I'm up! What? What? Oh, xylophone. Some of the newer ones are just horrible. They're so yeah. bad. Oh, xylophone. But I won't do another one now because it'll destroy that one too. So I guess somebody wants to gently be wakened by the clockwise theme. I wish them well. They're gonna hate that music. Hello and welcome back to Upgrade on Relay FM. This is episode number five. Today's episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Pilot and Dash. My name is Mike Hurley and I'm joined by your host, Mr. Jason Snell. Hi Mike, how's it going? I am very well, sir. How are you? Uh, pretty good. I'm getting over some, some jet lag uh, because I was in Montreal, Quebec, Canada this weekend for the Singleton, the final, as it turns out, Singleton yeah. Conference. Got to see a lot of great people, stay up later than I normally do, get up earlier than I ever do for flights. Than I and, ever have. <laughs> and have some, have some. well, I got up, my, my for my flight back, I had to get up at 5 a.m. Eastern, which is 2 a.m. Pacific. So last night I was uh, kind of kind of sleep. I told my wife at like 5.30, I said, I'm uh, kind of not functioning entirely properly. And she said, you don't say. <laughs> But I I had a good night's sleep, so I feel I feel more awake now. Good, you'll break back in. How do you yeah, oh, do? Yeah. How do you deal with jet lag? Do you do you do okay with it? Uh, I I I have welcome to the jet lag podcast. By the way, everybody, um, I I uh, I have some strategies. Uh, like what I did last night, like staying up until I ended up staying up, I think until about nine thirty last night, uh, which is not my bedtime by any means, but is closer to it that like a reasonable West coast bedtime. That's one of my strategies is the first, the first day you get there, you just got to force yourself to stay awake until you get to like as close as you can to normal bedtime. Um, and then ideally, you know, then you wake up the next morning and you're okay. Uh, I don't take any, you know, take any pills or anything for it. I, I just try to, and I can't really sleep very well on planes. So like when I go to, when I go to England, um, 
uh, it's the same thing. It's like it's that's always an overnight flight. And what I try to do is I can doze on the plane, maybe. Um, but when I get there, which is inevitably like in the morning or midday, I just try to stay awake the whole day, even though I'm a zombie and then go to bed in the evening and force myself to keep going back to sleep if I wake up in the night. And that's that's it. And it works OK. Um, the, the weird thing about jet lag, again, this is the jet lag podcast. Thanks for joining us. Um, for me, the weird thing is that wherever I am in the world, when it gets to my wake up time back home, that's when I get the wave of exhaustion that passes over me. It's like my brain is trying to flip the wake up switch, even though I'm already awake. And that leads to really weird uh, that that's when, that's when I feel like I just need to put my head down on the table and it'll be like two in the afternoon or something. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally fine when I come over to the States because typically whenever I come to America, I'm coming for, for like an exciting reason, you know, like oh, yeah, WDC yeah. or something. So the first day, like I can arrive having not really slept for like 20 hours and can go like all the way into the evening and then I get myself into a great routine. And then when I come home, um, I'm fine until typically the third night where I just do not sleep. Oh, and the it, delayed reaction. Yeah. Yeah. It, I don't I, know why that I, is. I find that flying west is easier than fly, flying east. I think that's a thing, too. Flying west, yeah. I have a much better time adapting this direction, coming this way, than going the other way. Um, and I, I, having worked for many years on a company that had offices in, uh, on the east and west coast, uh, we all compared notes about it, and everybody seemed to agree. Um, the only difference, the advantage of somebody flying, especially from the west coast to the east coast of the United States, is um, they would all take their red eye. And they'd be like, oh, you should just take the red eye. I have this whole system. And it's like, yeah, when you don't live east, you can't take the red eye because then you get there and it's 6 a.m. and you, can't, you have nowhere to go. Like, you can't go to ho- the hotel because they won't be ready for you until like two in the afternoon. So what do you do? Now you're a zombie with bags standing in a an airport somewhere or uh or on a street or in a Starbucks or something and it's bad. It that doesn't don't don't do that. So, but flying west I find is generally pretty good. And yeah, if you if you pile into that that you're excited to be coming to the US and why wouldn't you be? Mm-hmm. Um then yeah, that it it's nice. So it was it, going to computer conferences on the East Coast is actually also helpful because those are shifted. Those are those are running on Pacific time, frankly, anyway. <laughs> so it's not so bad. You you can wake up late and because everybody stays up late at those conferences. Should we address some follow up? Oh, I never thought you'd ask. <laughs> what a relief. Um, yes, we have some follow up. Uh, let's see. Last week we talked about, uh, we, we, this is follow up to follow up. Last week we talked about Netflix. Um, and two weeks ago we talked about Netflix and listener Nick had a helpful email that he sent that that basically saying most deals that Netflix has for licensed content are flat fees. We talked about it being, and I said, we there to shield myself from this. I talked about the idea that every time you watched orange is the new black, you weren't watching some other movie. Uh, and Netflix was saving money. And listener Nick says, that's not true. It's generally, uh, uh, just like it would be for a cable channel that you're paying for a window um, in order to stream it and they're not paying per stream. And and so it's not like uh, a Spotify scenario. Um, so thank you to listener Nick. I still think the, the discussion and argument we had around original content holds up though, because they, they well, may mean, be the paying is, for the rights. But it, over- it makes the math even harder, right? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I guess over time, Netflix just want to not... In theory, I guess in 10 years' time, 
Netflix would prefer to just not have to pay anybody because they have like 30 shows. Well, that's a little extreme. I mean, HBO, you know, HBO licenses movies. Um, So they make their own TV shows and some movies and then they license movies in the pay cable window. Um, So they're they're doing it, but it's not like you get HBO, uh, you know, HBO is not seen as a purveyor of other people's stuff now. It used to be. Now it's a purveyor of some movies and also a whole bunch of originals. And Netflix, I agree. I think Netflix wants to go in that direction where... You know, I, part of this is Netflix being driven there. There was a time when more um, movie studios were amenable um, to putting their stuff on Netflix, their newer stuff, and and uh, they got worried because Netflix got so successful that I feel like Netflix is smart to have the strategy of, uh, you know, we, we don't want to just be the old moldy catalog of old stuff. So we're going to be the old moldy catalog of old stuff plus a whole bunch of originals. And that's not a bad product to say, you know, any old TV show you want and a whole bunch of movies that are like more than five years old and then all of this great stuff. I mean, that's not that different of a, a proposition than what HBO offers, which is, you know, movies that have been out for a year and a half and our, our new stuff. But what what do people, I mean, because we don't have HBO here or uh, how is it? HBO, right? H, yes, sure. In um, the industry, they call it HBO, which I didn't even know. And I think oh, it's just ludicrous, but they, but they call that? it that. They call they they call that. In fact, the um, the I think the short code they use for HBO um links is a pun on that too, which nobody else is gonna get. But yeah, it's weird. Um, <laughs> that's what I think of that. Uh, we I, I we, know we don't we don't get it. So I, I I don't really understand what like the thinking is. But what do people subscribe to HBO for these days? Are they subscribing? Just for like Game of Thrones and stuff, uh, that, or do they do they subscribe for the movies too? So I have never ever been a pay cable person, and I have HBO now, and um, so I'm a sucker, <laughs> and I do it for a few reasons. Uh, Game of Thrones is what got me in the door, um, and last year we canceled after Game of Thrones was over, and this year we've kept it. Honestly, number one reason we've kept it is because I really like John Oliver's show. And I don't want to say goodbye to it. Um, but and the other reason is that between on demand and HBO Go, we have access to the entire HBO catalog, which means that I can watch old HBO stuff. Like um, I still haven't seen the last half of the last season of The Wire, and we're watching that on on HBO Go. Um, I've never I, seen the last season. Yeah, it's not great. I, I got mean, it's like The Wire. I got like an episode in. Yeah, and it's I kind of got a bit bored. So my my buddy Phil Michaels is a is a huge fan of The Wire and 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 also comes from a newspaper background and he was pointing out that The Wire usually is pretty good about like there are no good guys and bad guys everybody's got issues the bad guys that we would think of like the drug dealers and stuff that have things that make you identify with them and you understand why why they're in this situation you're not they're not sugarcoating it but you understand that and then there are the the good guys the cops and all that and you realize that the system is broken and even if the cops have good intentions they're flawed people and all of that and then the last season of the wire it's sort of like uh, his parable for when he worked at the Baltimore Sun newspaper, and it's literally like some of these editors are saints, and they are doing God's work, and some of these 
corporate suits at the newspaper are monsters and they're pure evil. And it's like that moment where you felt like he was getting his, he was grinding his axe and all of the nuance of all the other parts of, of life that he had observed kind of fall away as he gets really angry about the newspaper business. And it's very not like David Simon to do that. So it's, it's, and as somebody in, in, in the media business, um, it's, it's kind of hard to watch that like total decay of a newspaper. <laughs> it's I mean, it's hard to watch Total Decay of Baltimore and all the other seasons, yeah. but that one hits close to home in the sense that, like, these suckers who are working these jobs, I know these people. I might be these people. And that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, but it's, so that's why, that's why people subscribe to HBO, I think, is it's, it's like a sampler of movies. There's, like, movies that you forgot to rent, you never got around to renting, that have come back around again, and you're like, oh, I'd like to see that. I mean, and we do that. We, we look on our DVR. We just kind of go through the HBO listings and pick movies, and then we've got them to watch. And then the, the HBO Go has added that dimension of, like, really being able to get the entire catalog of old HBO uh, shows and watch it. And that's a good catalog. That's, it's not entire, but it's pretty close. Um, but it all started with just it was Game of Thrones for me. Yeah. So I, I know people say like that the last season of The Wire is the bad one, um, because you know the rest of it is incredible. If you haven't seen The Wire, by the way, just commit to the first three episodes of season one. Yeah, it's like reading a book. You yeah. can't just watch an episode. It li- literally they stop, and you're like, "Is that the end?" I guess because it's I, I don't know st- any of these characters. I have no I idea what's going on in their yeah. lives. You got to keep watching because it, it really is telling one story. It's like a book, and they don't really care if to give you a cliffhanger at the end of an episode. They're just like, "All right, keep watching." So but it's great. It's similar in that I've never seen Godfather three because I, I came to the movies <laughs> late, and a friend of mine said, okay, watch one and two and pretend that the third one doesn't exist. And I've never seen yeah. it. Yeah, it's not that good. Exactly. It's, a, it's not, it's not, yeah, I don't, I don't recommend people. I would never encourage somebody who hadn't seen The Godfather to watch the entire trilogy. I would say, watch the first two movies and then you can stop there. The third one is there. And if you really find yourself wondering what happens to Michael at the you know end of his life and who is going to assassinate the Pope, Whatever. Uh, then there's a movie for you, and you can stare at <laughs> Sofia Cop- Coppola's bottom lip and wonder why she was cast, because clearly she's not much of an actress. She seems to be related to the director in some way. Nah. Um, yeah, I don't recommend that. So it's the same thing. It's like, you know, except with The Wire, you have to go through the first four seasons, and then, you, then you're then you teetering on the brink. It's like, should I really watch this last season? Eh. I'm, you know, and I haven't done it either. We're very slowly grinding through it, because it's like, yeah, it's not that great. So he was very excited. My friends were excited to, to be able to give me that piece of advice. He was like, oh, oh my yeah. God, you don't have to watch the last one. I feel yeah. like my, he felt like he had suffered for me, you know? Yes. Yes, so, and saved you. Exactly. Well, he was introducing you. He was giving the go-ahead for two great movies, two of the greatest movies. The, and then also pro- favorites. Also protecting you from the ill-advised late. There should be a word for that. The ill-advised late, uh, late sequel. You know, like years yeah. and years after, um, like um, what would be another example of this? Um, oh, I just had it and lost it. There, there are other things like that where they go, they go twenty years and then they say, "Hey, I've got my oh Indiana Jones and mm-hmm. the uh, the the Crystal Skull." Right, that's a ill advised late sequel. Like I'm, I'm twenty really... years later, they say, "Oh, I know." Let's do another one of those. And everybody's like, yeah, I remember Indiana Jones. Let's do that. And then the movie comes out and you're like, oh, that was a mistake. I'm really hoping that the next Dumb and Dumber movie is not like that. Because there's a Dumb and Dumber 2 happening right now, right? 
Oh, uh, yeah. Well, there was already an off-brand sequel that the studio yeah. made without any of the creative participants. But now that. they're actually making a real a real one. And you know, sometimes those sometimes those come off. Although I, you know, I love the X Files, and I never even watched that second X Files movie that came out, which I heard bad things about. And the first one was not very good either. But you know, ten years later, they made another X Files movie, and even though I like the X Files, I just never saw it because I was like, do I really want to experience that again? I love the idea of getting the old band back together, and yet in in practice, a lot of uh, more often than not, those are disastrous. You've you've never done the Godfather on the Incomparable, have you? No, it's on the list. Actually, oh. I talk. I've been, and I, and Syracuse is in. Oh, <laughs> so we just we just have to do it. Um, it'll it'll happen. It'll happen. It could just be you and him. It could just be him. It could <laughs> just be screen specific commentary of The Godfather by John Syracuse. <laughs> no, that'll be good. Those are uh, those are you know. I I actually have been holding those in reserve. There was a time when when they did that Goodfellas episode of Five by Five of the movies. Mm. I kept thinking that they were going to get to The Godfather, and they haven't. And I would love I would love to do that. I also. Um, Gruber at, at Singleton, John Gruber was talking about Alien, and I thought, you know, I should I should try to do an Alien episode at some point too. So we'll we'll get there. God, because those are great movies. Those are fantastic movies. I would love to hear those episodes. Yeah, that's good stuff. Well, at least the first and second one. Wow. So this is the jet lag and uh, movie podcast now, is it, Mike? That's <laughs> what I'm going for. I'm pushing you it's, in that direction. This was my it's, real it's plan a, all along. It's an entire show about watching movies on airplanes. <laughs> That's what what else is. do we have in follow-up? Okay, follow-up. Um, that was, believe it or not, follow-up item number one. <laughs> um, but we only, fortunately, we only have two. Um, the next follow-up item is, uh, so a, a couple episodes ago, we talked about a certain feature mm. y- involving Apple's intelligent assistant technology where you can speak a key phrase, and it if it's plugged in and you have this feature turned on, it will activate. And we, we had fun with that a few weeks ago and tried to make people's iPhones uh, that were plugged in and listening to the podcast do crazy stuff. And people thought it was funny slash annoying, but I felt we were like serving a good purpose that in, in pointing out one of the key flaws of this thing is that it can be triggered by anyone, including saying things that aren't even the key phrase uh, where you're calling the intelligent assistant. Anyway, last week we had a sponsor that had an offer code that was that key phrase. That I, I did that. I made that and, happen. And way. I wasn't aware of that. And then yeah. you said it, and 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 uh, and you can actually hear me kind of um, groaning in the background, <laughs> knowing that people were going to be upset by it. And sure I enough, was. You, I have to. I was very proud of it, so I apologize. It was really funny, but also at the same time, it definitely made some people angry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, 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 and I think, I, I mean, I, I groaned slash laughed because I was like, I knew what was going to come out of it, but it was kind of funny and we don't want to be known as the podcast that, that does terrible things to your iPhone. That would be not a great slogan. Hey guys, here's a podcast you shouldn't listen to. (laughs) Uh, that's a bad idea. Um, so, you know, some people mad. We heard from listener Brian who said, guys, the fun ended long ago and listener Joshua called us a name. Uh, but then he apologized, which was nice. Thank you, listener Joshua. Uh, and what we did on Twitter was ask for euphemisms for that phrase, which cannot be said without triggering triggering your iPhone to do something crazy. And if we triggered the iPhone to do something crazy in this episode, I swear it's not on purpose. There are phrases you could come up with that sound close enough that you can you can trigger it, but we're not we're, we're trying not to do that. But the problem is we yeah. still want to talk about this feature. Yeah, people, so we need some way to send talk about us it. like. Uh, like other phrases that they've seen. Yes. Um, like uh, my girlfriend told me she was watching Desperate Housewives and 
it 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 just wouldn't stop for the whole episode for some mm-hmm. reason. I don't know what they were saying, um, but on that show, it just kept activating the intelligent assistant. Yes, indeed. Um, I've heard from several people. Uh, every now and then, somebody, I think Glenn Fleischman, every time he accidentally triggers it, he sends me the phrase that he yep. used, which is kind of funny. <laughs> um, but so, so we were looking for, um, and if you've got uh, other, um, if you're a listener and you've got other suggestions, feel free to send them in. But we've got a great list here that we can consider. Um, uh, there were a lot of Ahoy's. Listener Lloyd suggested Ahoy Telephone. Uh, listener Ted said Ahoy there, Babbage Machine. Uh, listener Daniel wants us to say Ahoy Susan. That's strange. A, that's a that's a call to to the Bionic podcast. That's a Bionic. Oh uh, yeah, mm-hmm. Ahoy there. So a lot of a lot of good Ahoys. I like Ahoy telephone. It's just so far out there. Uh, we had OK Glass YouTube Rickroll from listener David. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, and many listeners just suggested we we just say OK Google and which ruin is every- just as bad. <laughs> which is way. ruining everybody who's listening on uh, an Android phone. Sorry about that. Um, you had you had it coming, quite, quite frankly. You've been skating by, as we've been saying that other thing. Um, listener TJ, who is a fan of the West Wing, suggested we take a page out of Josh's book and just shout Donna. I don't That's think anyone would me, understand that. Oh, the West Wing. Oh, you should watch. Oh, Mike, gotta watch the West Wing. I don't know. So I, this is something I struggled with. House of Cards is I don't really understand American politics. Oh, the West Wing is the West Wing has nothing to do with real American politics. Okay, great. The rest West Wing is a is is like they should need they need a word f- for science fiction that is not there's no science involved, but it is I guess fantasy is the word I'm looking for here. It is fantasy. It is a fantasy of how. Uh, we wish the the young, bright-eyed people in our government would would be, and how idealistic they would be, and how um, fundamentally good they would be. Uh, but it's great, like the dialogue and the it's a that's a really fun show. That's a, we, that's a lot of fun. Do we have time for another quick aside? <laughs> sure, we got so, we have nothing but time. Talking, I about, may fall asleep in the middle, but go ahead. <laughs> talking about American politics and TV shows, so. Uh, when I was watching House of Cards, so like because we, we we didn't understand um what Kevin Spacey's job was, so like he's the government whip, or he's chief government whip. Yeah, so, the majority whip, yeah. majority whip. That's it, and and we didn't fully understand what that was. So we we were um at the end, it, we were going into the second season. That was when it was on TV, and we uh we googled for what is kevin spacey's job like kevin spacey's job in house of cards and we're given a spoiler a spoiler yes yeah yes really that sucked that really sucked yeah he's a member of the house of representatives i think or is he a senator i think he's a house of a member of the house of representatives and then he's just got a senior position in the party that's i think that's how that goes yeah and then later he has a different job but Mm -hmm. again i got spoiled about that too i've uh, yeah uh oh in the okay google um vein there's also hey cortana Thanks. Now we've ruined the two people who are listening on a Windows phone. Thank you, Kyle. Um, thank you, listener Kyle. Uh, listener Timer Koala Singh suggests "Good Day Koala," uh, to which I would I, I would I would say if we could address every uh, listener individually by name, that would be great. But I, I would think like to that, do that. That technology is beyond us. Sorry, Steve. See now, a listener named Steve is like, "Oh my God, they did it," <laughs> and everybody else doesn't. Doesn't know. We're talking uh, to you, Roger. <laughs> that's right. Um, uh, a summons to she who shall not be named, listener Alex Ann. 
Uh, hello, governor. Oh, we're into the Britishisms now. Hello, governor. That's a good one. Cheerio, pip pip, governor. Listener Florian, listener Gabe. Uh, listener Scott had a good one, which is from Star Trek Four, where Scotty picks up the mouse of the Mac and says, hello, computer. Listener Benji going Radiohead with OK Computer. And listener Carlos had a really good one, which is, hey, pretty lady. So do, do you have a do you have a, a a winner from this list? Uh I like Hello Computer and I also like Ahoy Telephone. <laughs> I I really like Ahoy Telephone. Uh cuz it, it it's I think it's the closest <laughs> while still being far enough away. Yes. Uh, let's go over Ahoy Telephone. Okay, Ahoy Telephone. There it is. It's the official upgrade uh uh, synonym euphemism for attention apple intelligent agent i would like to speak with you now perfect anyway so we'll try very hard not to say that thing again um but we can't guarantee it because it might just pop out but we're, we're not going to try to troll your iphones purposefully if yeah, it happens it's an accident like if another if another device gets this feature or if the feature is upgraded, we may use its product name. Like sure, I, I don't think we'll ever do. But to, to put those two words together, we we will try our, our darndest not to do that anymore. Right, We're, and the upgrade uh, podcast apologizes for any inconvenience caused. Sure. With that, let's take a quick break to thank our first sponsor for this week's episode, and that is our friends at Dash. Dash is a super cool website that lets you quickly create real-time custom dashboards. So these dashboards, they're all created in the web browser and they allow you to get a visual overview of important data for maybe your website, your business, or even your life. Dash allows you to pull in data from a variety of different sources around the web. They have dozens of pre-built widgets for services like App Figures, Google Analytics, GitHub, Twitter, Chartbeat, Pingdom, and so many more. And if you want to start to get geeky on your own, you can display your own custom data in Dash. They have an API that allows you to share data from Dropbox or the web and create custom widgets like graphs and line charts, etc. So Dash is a web app. And the great thing is that it allows you to pull in all of this data from different parts of the web. So maybe you want to have your, like we, I have set up a Relay FM Dash um, where I have our information from our Twitter account. So I see the app mentions coming in to the Twitter account. I also have our uh, GitHub issues in there so we can keep track of what's going on there. So for our changes to the site that we're making, I have Google Analytics information say, sitting in there too. So I can see all in this really pretty uh, dashboard interface um, how many people are on the site and I can take a look at traffic oh I also have the iTunes podcast directory top charts in there as well so I can see if uh, I can see when upgrade shoots up the charts every week um, I'm able to see that too and it, it's a really nice way of just being able to all in the web browser see a bunch of awesome information it's a good sort of home page I leave it as a tab um, so I can go in and just take a look at all that sort of stuff all in one go the pricing model for Dash is a lot like GitHub, if you've ever used it. So everyone gets unlimited public dashboards. So you can set up as many public dashboards as you like, and this data is shared live with the Dash community. But if you upgrade to their pro account for $10 per month, you also get unlimited private dashboards too. So these are just for you to see, and this may be where you put personal information um, or private information, like Google Analytics stuff, for example. However, Dash is currently running an awesome limited-time promotion for listeners of this show. If you sign up for a free account today at thedash.com. That's T H E D 
dash-dash-dash.com. You'll also get one private dashboard in addition to your free accounts unlimited public dashboards as well. There's no credit card required and you'll keep your private dashboard forever. So that's a fantastic offer you should be taking advantage of. You'll get it for free. You just need to go and sign up. So go sign up right now at thedash.com. Thank you so much to Dash for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. That's thedash.com because as we discovered, if you go to dash.com, you learn about soap. I mean, you can also learn about soap and then go to thedash.com. It's really kind of up to you how you want to do You could create your own dashboard that features measurements of soap. Mm-hmm. If that's something that you're really interested in, maybe yeah. you have a, a soap a, a soap company. And it's you need good, all clean, of your soap fun, Mike. <laughs> good. <laughs> Get out! <laughs> Ahoy, telephone! <laughs> oh, Jason, tell me about Singleton. Singleton. What would you like to know? Singleton. Well, is, I'm um, so sad that I didn't get to go. It, it was it's over, uh, yeah. Me and Stephen were talking last week about, oh, we'll definitely go to Singleton next year. Well, no, 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 because Guy English has ruined it for everybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Guy, so Guy and, and, uh, and his compatriots um, have been doing this conference uh, for, this is the fourth year in Montreal and the last three years at the Nelligan Hotel in the, in the old town in Montreal. And I, I went the last three years. I didn't go the first year. And it's in the line of these indie Mac, you know, they're, they're, theoretically they're developer conferences. Although honestly, these are, these are not the kind of conferences. Um, somebody gave me, gave me some grief last year when I referred to these as developer conferences, it was Singleton and Ool. Um, they're like, it's not really a developer conference. And I think that person's conception of what a developer conference was is like, you go there and learn about how to program things better. That's totally not what it's about. It's meant to be more like an inspirational conference for people who are in the business of uh, of Apple, who are in the business of Apple software usually, um, and so a lot of programmers and designers and uh, and you know other people too. But it's really the it's the community of of Apple people. Um, and while there are big names there, there are also lots of other fantastic people who I don't see very often, but I follow on Twitter or or I exchange with, uh, you know, tweets with um, on a regular basis. And uh, and unlike WWDC, where the scale is kind of totally insane and maybe you see somebody at a big, loud party somewhere, um, this is a couple hundred people. So um, it's and, – and, you know, it's a – you get there on Friday afternoon and there's an opening session Friday night where there are drinks and uh, and, a, and a speaker. And then um, the next – you know, in the next two days there are, there are presentations until early, basically Sunday afternoon. And uh, there's a dinner on Saturday night and, uh, you know, I, I think everybody goes to – there's a bar nearby. Everybody goes there. Um, they kind of – cordon off part of the bar and everybody is chatting and then you come back for dinner they've set up a really nice banquet in the in the hall it's just a, it, it's a really nice thing and, and there are other events like this i, I mentioned ool ool in ireland is a is a great example of a similar kind of thing where there's you know these are being made by apple nerds and so they really care about like this is not a corporate mass-produced kind of conference most of these conferences are uh just done by regular people who wanted to do a great conference and the 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 handouts are good and the badges are nice. XOXO is like this too, uh, where it's, you know, these are indie conferences for, you know, for people in these related communities and they're uh, labors of love. And I think that's the reason there won't be another singleton is that it, it is a labor of love. And I think the, the Scott and, and Luke and, and Guy looked at their um, the time they were putting in and said, you know, 
we don't need to do this again because it is, yeah. I know it is just a huge amount of effort to do and the quality is fantastic, but uh, there's a reason that most of the like profitable big corporation conference events are, you know, in a generic hotel and have generic, uh, you know, chairs and uh, generic, uh, f- generic catering and all of these things is because they're focused on their profit margin in a way that these these people are, are doing it for as long as they can as a labor of love. But at some point they can't do it anymore. Yeah, I, I can't imagine as much money in this game. I don't. I, I I was telling my wife about it last night, and I said, "Remember when uh, right after we were married, and I spent an entire summer writing a book or half a book about like running a server on a Mac, uh, which was really great to do in the in the iOS or in the OS eight era. You know, like that's a really terrible server, <laughs> but <laughs> I wrote a book about it. Um, and I, I what I said to her was, um, remember when I did that." When we calculated out how many hours I had spent writing half that book and compared it to the advance that we got and we never earned out of our advance, I would have been better off uh, working at a minimum wage somewhere, like working at McDonald's in terms of money. I would have earned more money than the time I put in. Um, I think these conferences are like that. They may make the make some money for the conference people, but uh, that isn't factoring in how much time they put into it. And I think once you do that, you realize that, you know, I am sure that that guy and scott and luke could use their time in better ways in terms of prof profitability in terms of supporting themselves and also let's just these are an enormous amount of work to pull off at all and so then you're exhausted and you know your productivity suffers for several months while it's going on and in the aftermath of it and you know i love that they that they put themselves out there and made this amazing conference what it is but um, i totally get why they would not want to do it again because unless you really uh, I'm sad that it's not going to happen, but I totally understand it because I really felt you could tell how much how hard they worked on it. What well, sort of when when you go to these these conferences, why are you going? I go. I mean, I go to see the people. That's number one. I go to see the people, and then the talks are interesting and stimulating and make you think and um, get you get perspectives uh, that you might not stop and think if you're just kind of putting your head down and working on the stuff you're working on. And I, that's why I said they're kind of inspirational and why I like them, even though they're not, if, if they were about code, I wouldn't be interested because I'm not a programmer. Yeah. Um, and and th- th- that kind of conference is good. If I, if I wanted to go like now that I'm doing six colors and I'm doing all this, all this coding, if there was like a, a conference locally that was learn how to do better CSS and JavaScript, I'd be like, Oh, maybe I should go to that and learn something. But this is not, that's not what this is. This is inspirational. This is people talking about what it's like to think like a designer, to navigate business issues in this area, to think about interacting with Apple and what that, um, what that is. And even big, big picture stuff like, how we define our identities as professionals in in this business in this world, and I know that seems kind of fuzzy, but that can all be really inspirational, make you think about your own life and your own career choices and your own trajectory. And a lot of the people at these conferences are people who are running their own businesses, and you know, or are working in relatively small businesses. And so, yeah, but but so the content is good, but it's also just the people. I mean, when else do you end up in a place where, you know, you're there in a room with Marco Arment, John Gruber, um, Brent Simmons. He wasn't there this time, I think, but he's been there before. You know, Man Reese was there. Uh, I mean, just, Dan Morin was there, Serenity Caldwell, uh, Renee Ritchie, uh, Christina Warren, like on the media side. So it's like these designers, uh, Jesse Char was there. 
Um, Rich Siegel, who does BB Edit, was there. Adam and Tanya Angst. John August. Uh, that was pretty awesome. I got to meet John August, the screenwriter who, uh, who follows me on Twitter and I follow, and and it's, I I was blown away when, when, uh, when I found that out and then I got to say hi to him and chat with him briefly. And that was pretty cool. So just a great, um, collection of people. So part social and part inspirational, I would say. So I mean, I've been to a couple of these types of things. Well, we met we met and talked for a while. Uh, I mean, I think we had a couple like hour long chats uh, at Ool last year, and that's yeah. a very similar kind of thing. So I know you s- experienced it there. Yeah, I, I, when you when I've heard people explain, um, like Singleton, it sounds very similar to to the Ool experience. I mean, an Ool was a no brainer for me because it was an island. Um, right. So it was easy for me to get to. Funnily enough, wasn't that much cheaper than me going to something like XOXO because of the uh, exchange rates. So it's quite interesting. Yeah. The flights are cheaper, but the overall experience, it's not, it ends up not being that much different. Um, but I've been to XOXO as well. Um, and and I go, I mean, I go to these sort of things for the same same sort of reasons as you really. I mean, and, and I think for me, they're, they're really important to network as as much as that can be a bad thing but this is basically to build relationships with people that i would love to work with like mm-hmm. yourself right yeah. <laughs> you know uh and also like i learned this from the first time that i went to wwdc it changed my career in this sort of industry because i got to meet so many people and there is when you when you work with people and you work with them online in some manner um you it does change the dynamic once you actually meet in person. There is still that, like, once you have that in-person meeting, totally, it changes the way that you're able to work together in the future. And, it, and it, I found it just so useful. And also as well, it is, I have so many friends that I do not get to see. Like, I just don't get to see them. And when we, when there are things like this, I get to see as many people as I can, as many of my friends as possible in a very short space of time. Yeah, yeah, and 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 meet new people. Uh, I mean, I invariably meet somebody who I know only from Twitter. Who um, uh, I'm like, oh, you're from the internet, <laughs> right? It's like, and yeah. that's and, and it's nice. It's nice to do that. It's always good to hear uh, to see these people and you know coming together and not just being on the internet. It, it, it has value, and and you know. I am not one of those people who stays out until 2 a.m. in bars and does the drinking thing, which is a which is a definitely an aspect that is somewhat problematic, I would say, of uh, tech conference culture. That people, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of socializing that is done, you know, where people are staying out until five in the morning um, and and drinking heavily. And I'm not a heavy drinker. I I will enjoy a beer and some wine, but um, you know, I'm uh, and at Ool I was up until two one morning but like everybody was and that was i was using the jet lag in my favor there but it what it didn't feel like it was i mean people weren't falling down or anything it wasn't like a, a, everybody was drunk and at 2 a.m it's just everybody was up at 2 a.m and chatting um but you know as somebody who doesn't who's not going to close down a bar somewhere i find it completely valuable that, that people were in the lobby for all hours and and yeah and we went out, out you know out for meals with people and uh and for me to see also my um my colleagues, uh, Dan and Serenity, both who live in the on the East Coast, and you know I don't get to see them on a regular basis anymore because we don't work together anymore, and so they're not flying out for work things. So seeing them was uh, really nice too. So now that Singleton's over, 
um, what what conferences do you have your eye on? Where can people get the Jason Snow experience in person? <laughs> well, so uh, the the guys who do Ool, Paul and Dermot, were at um, at Singleton this year, and um, they were kind enough to invite me and Guy English to come back to Ool, which is at the end of March of next year, um, and that will be somewhere in Ireland at an undisclosed location. They they haven't announced where it's going to be yet, but it's not going to be in Dublin proper. It's going to be out in the countryside somewhere, like it was last year, which is actually a huge amount of fun and beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that uh, I think we're, we're going to do what we did last year, which is we're going to host a talk show basically uh, in the evening, uh, interviewing the speakers for the next day. And uh, we learned a lot last time. I think it was good last time, and it got better as it went along. And uh, we were actually all kind of huddled up and talking about ways to make it better again next year. And I love that conference. If you're somebody who can get to Ireland uh, fairly easily, so especially if you're in in the UK or elsewhere in Europe, but even if you're on the East Coast, uh, that is a beautiful conference. And they they really – they – try to have an apple level attention to detail and like their 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 product uh right down to like when you check in and what the badge is and what the box looks like and my little avatar that i use on twitter is an original illustration they commissioned illustrations of all of the speakers at ool and made this illustrator made them and then they printed them on cardstock and put them in the boxes of the individual speakers. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And, and they, they, they had that, they, they really sweat it. Like we were saying, these people uh, who do these conferences, these indie conferences really sweat the details. So I'll be at that one. That'll be great. Um, I won't be at Macworld Expo, <laughs> but I'll be at, at Ool. Should we talk about that now? Cause we have it I, a little bit later in the show, but I suppose we should. So what's happening? Well, what has happened? Uh, yeah, it's gone. Macworld Expo. So IDG announced uh, today as we record this, Tuesday the 14th, that um, uh, Macworld Expo is on hiatus and there will no- not be an event in 2015. I think I would probably put money on the fact that there'll be nothing that resembles what we think of as Macworld Expo or even the last few years of Macworld iWorld again. That would be my my gut feeling is that I don't see how they're going to do anything with this. They may spin out a conference or something and call it Macworld or iWorld or something like that. Um, that might happen. And they're keeping their Mac IT conference, which they started a few years ago and ran in parallel with Macworld Expo. And so people didn't, a lot of people didn't know about it, but there was a professional conference that you paid a lot of money to go to that, that ran piggybacked with Macworld Expo. And that's continuing. But uh, Macworld Expo, as we know it, is, um, is over and uh, it's sad, but I got to say it's not surprising. After all of the other changes at IDG uh, this year, including so many of us leaving in September and the budgets being very different than they used to be, and Pat McGovern, the founder of IDG, who cared very much about the trade show presence, he passed away earlier this year. I think that had an effect on a lot of what's been going on at IDG now that there's a new uh, board of directors in charge. Uh, so it's not. I, I'm not surprised at all by it when Paul Kent who has been running it and done just a fantastic job running this event through incredible changes, losing Apple. You know, that wasn't, none of that was his fault. He's been trying to make the best of it all along and make it the best event it could be in incredibly difficult circumstances, trying to make it find ways to be relevant. Um, but he told me a few days ago, like, can I, can I give you a call at 10 AM on the 14th? And I was like, sure. And I'm thinking to myself, 
this is going to be the call where he says, I've just sent you an email with our statement and we're shutting it down. And that's essentially what I, what I got. So I, I mean, the writing was on the wall, but uh, what a year that, that brand, uh, mm-hmm. not a lot left of it now. I still cannot believe that Macworld continued at all after Apple left. Like the fact that they did it for so many years is incredible. Well, you know, I I think the truth, the sad thing is, I think Apple's presence there wasn't necessary. Um, But like, I think that show was really vibrant. And I I always thought the Apple booth was not interesting at all. I I just, I never thought the Apple booth at Macworld Expo was interesting because it was just kind of, here's the, here's some Apple products. I mean, it was just not, and Apple was right. That's, that's kind of like the Apple store experience. It just, I, and, and everything else around it was the cool stuff of like every people that you couldn't see at your local Apple store. Um, but what Apple did do in part on the on the trade show floor was provide that anchor like Apple's here and everything else is swirling around Apple. Um, but the Steve Jobs keynote thing was the other big thing that a lot of for a lot of people at Macworld Expo was always the Steve Jobs keynote. And when Apple pulled out the you know, they pulled out of, of doing a keynote, too, um, which is understandable uh, because they can call an event whenever they want, and you know they're going to have one later this week too. But um, for a lot of people, especially press covering the event, they would fly in, go to the Apple thing, and then leave for the, or maybe blast through the show floor on their way out. So for them, MacWorld Expo was Apple's presence at it, and and you saw that in the coverage of MacWorld Expo. Um, so I always think Apple's Apple's impact when it left, it it didn't need to be that way. And I would actually argue that if Apple had kept doing its booth. And not doing a keynote, I don't think it would have changed the trajectory very much. Trade shows are kind of over. Big trade shows. And if you're a big company like IDG that's doing all these big trade shows, let me tell you, you know, there are two ways to make money from a trade show. You get people to pay a lot of money for a conference badge and or you get you get vendors to pay a lot of money for booth space. And the booth thing is hard and getting harder, especially for consumer products. It's a little bit different if you're getting a whole bunch of enterprise technology buyers in a room somewhere. But that's a hard business to be in. Um, and I, I, I think, uh, I think the conference was never going to be enough on its own. I think that that like the 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 way that and. And IDG World Expo was never our company. Uh, Macworld Magazine and website were always in a different part of IDG. So I don't know anything about their finances, honestly. But my impression is the way they ran that business um, and the, the 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 scale of that business, that they needed the trade show to be successful. Um, that the conference on its own, it was never going to be, well, let's just not worry about the trade show and just do a great conference in San Francisco every year. I, I just, it was never going to, it was never going to do it. Um and that's why I say maybe at some other scale they might try to bring back a Macworld conference at some point, um, but I doubt it. I, I think the Mac IT thing is is something that maybe they can take and and do other things with. They're competing against um, uh, Neil Tickton, who does the Mac Tech conference, um, and this puts them sort of right up against each other. But uh, yeah, it's too bad. It's too bad. But but um, that's a tough business to be in. That's a, just a, that's a brutal business. Trade shows in general. I mean, like we said, conferences are, are a hard business to be in anyway. Um, and then you throw in the trade show part, and it is amazing that they lasted as long as they did. Yeah, because it felt like, I guess, I guess there was like part trade show, part like fun time, you know? like Well, they, they were trying to make a Comic-Con. They, they, that's what yeah. they were really trying to do is make a Comic-Con. And the problem with that is um, they, I mean, I, I still think that that was a pretty good idea, but, uh, you know... <sighs> 
they just couldn't make it work. It's too bad because I, I feel like in technology enthusiasm, not just gaming, like they do the E3 show in LA and that's a gaming show. I feel like in technology enthusiasm, there's something there. Like there could be an event that gets that or or, or geek culture. There could be an event that, that hits that. And you see it, uh, New York Comic Con just finished and it actually was larger than San Diego Comic Con. Um, just huge events uh, celebrating geek pop culture. Um, and technology stuff, I think that still has resonance is in its its part in the culture. And so I don't know. Maybe if they bring if they ever bring like a comic uh, con, they move WonderCon to LA. If they ever brought a comic con back to San Francisco, I wonder if they should try to have some uh, digital technology kind of stuff in it too, so that people because I do think there's some subculture that really ought to be served somehow by all of this. And I look at the success of of comic book and you know comic book sci-fi uh, pop culture conventions, and they mm-hmm. are really successful. They are growing, um, and I think there is an event model that should work for this sort of thing. But what what MacWorld Expo was was just not it. Even though they tried, I think that was I kept telling Paul Kent be Comic Con, but I don't think he could ever really get the support for it to be you know full out Comic Con, and maybe it wouldn't have worked monetarily. I think one of the things that makes two of the things that make Comic Con great are cosplay and huge announcements of big movies, and I don't think right. you can have either. I, I don't think that there is an either of those at something like MacWorld. Well, it, I think it's too limited, and your main the 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 company that's got all of the attention isn't there anymore, right? Yeah. So if you did something that was sort of like more tech focused, but it wasn't just Apple, it was broader. Um. And you could have somebody from Google or Facebook or Microsoft. You could have some speakers who actually might even announce things. Um, it, you might be able to do it. Like I said, I, th- I think maybe as part of a larger thing. I, I'm, I'm actually kind of half serious. Like if there was if San Diego and New York Comic Con don't need to get any bigger. But if there was like the, the, the cultures aren't that far off of each other. I, I wonder if you if you did something in the Bay Area and had uh, and had that as an aspect of it. I don't know. I don't know. There's something there, but you're right. It's not like uh, Marvel and DC, you know, didn't come and make any announcements, and uh, it, it, that that would be less less interesting. Yeah. And yeah, nobody's wearing a costume of an Apple II. Although that would be something to see. We should have had more cosplay at MacWorld Expo. That would have been great. If you think about it, when Apple was at MacWorld, it was probably more like Comic Con in that aspect. Like people go to Comic Con to watch Marvel's whole H presentation. Like so, maybe people were coming to see the Steve Jobs keynote. Like it was that idea, and then it lost that. Yeah, in the in the um, it, it totally lost that that halo. And like I said, it took the oxygen out of the room because you know that then you knew the big mover in the space was focused on making big news there, and it, it, it that was a gave it enough weight that drew people to it. In the chat room, a little real time follow up. Um, I had a couple people ask about CES or NAB. And what I'd say is, you know, CES, despite the C in its name, is not a consumer show. Um, it's a it's, trade show. It's a trade show. It's a trade trade show. It is for, I mean, we all go as media people. Oh, I hate CES. I'm so glad not to have to ever go to it again. Um, but uh, it's it's the worst. But uh, media people go. But, it, you know, its primary purpose is for uh, distributors uh, of of products to find what products to distribute. It's, I mean... I think I think a regular person maybe now can get a badge, but it is not a 
it is not a show for for regular people. It is not a celebration of culture or anything. It is like miles. I'm gonna let my little tainted viewpoint here. Miles and miles of knockoff, uh, you know, knockoff tech products from companies you've never heard of that are desperately trying to get some sucker to say yes. If you build this, I'll distribute it in my Radio Shack stores, and I just. Mm, and then NAB, that's a pro show. That's a pro show. That is for people who are professionals who do this for a living, do video for a living. And that's a different thing. You know, Macworld was a consumer show. It, that that was that was what it was. And uh, that's a challenge because pros come and say, I've got a reason to buy a, a $5,000 video camera. And consumers are like looking for an iPhone case. And, the, you know, it's a lot harder to make your money back if you're a software developer saying, buy my app, it's $2, and then buying a booth for $10,000 and finding a way for that to be profitable. Right. We've still got some stuff that we want to cover today. Um, I want to take a moment to thank our second sponsor for this week's episode, and that is our friends over at Pilot. They're back to sponsor another episode of Upgrade, and you should definitely know about them. Pilot is a design and development studio founded in 2009. They are known for creating fantastic products for startups and enterprise clients across iPhone, iPad, and the web. With a team of 50 designers, developers, producers, and product directors in Berlin, London, and their head office in Poland, they are ready and waiting to help you on your next product and to bring it to life. Pilot can either help you build a great team around you that you can work with and interact with every day, or if you want, they can set you up with a producer who can take care of all this stuff for you so you have one point of contact and that's who you deal with on a day-to-day basis. Pilot works with both clients from all around the web, small brands and big brands like Lonely Planet, Macmillan, or just you know small startups. It doesn't matter. No project is too big or too small. Some startups they've worked with have been backed by world-class investors and accepted as top accelerators such as Y Combinator. So you can see that the quality of Pilot's work can help companies shine even in the toughest and most competitive environments. Pilot even make products of their own, like Tapes. Tapes is an awesome little Mac app that allows you to quickly and easily capture and share screencasts. And so if you want to go to go to their website, I believe it's uh, usetapes.com. Yeah, usetapes.com. You'll see a little product that they've created themselves. You can see the kind of quality of item that they put out into the world. If you are looking for a first-class team of designers and developers who sweat the little details, check out pilot.co. Thank you so much to Pilot for their continued support of Upgrade and Relay FM. And we should specify, you can have more than one word in your name and still be a sponsor on Upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> Just not this week. And if you do want to sponsor Upgrade, which you definitely should be doing, yes, go to relay.fm slash sponsor. It is, uh, considering mine and Jason's recent decisions, it's incredibly important that you yeah. do this. <laughs> we should we should we should talk about that at a future in a future show about yeah. the fact that, that, that you you are about to be just as unencumbered with a commute as I. Uh-huh. We should mm-hmm. we should definitely do that. Yeah. But not today. Indeed. Okay, so it was going back to Singleton for a moment. Okay. Um, I don't want to go back. It's a long way. It's a very long flight. <laughs> just can we just, just hop stay over. here. Hop over. Well, we can stay here. We can uh, we can telecommute, I guess. Um, there was a, a talk uh, that that you kind of you covered. You you were you were at the scene reporting live for six yes. colors. 
um, of Rich Siegel uh, of Barebones Software, and he gave a presentation about leaving the Mac App Store. Yes, he did. What was what? what tell tell me a little bit about what what happened. What was the what was the talk framed around? Was this the subject of the talk? And then how did that kind of play out in the room? Well, Rich, uh, so Rich Siegel has been doing BB Edit for like twenty plus years, and uh, one of the things I love about him is that he is a really thoughtful guy. He does not do a whole lot of yelling and stomping and and and. Uh, He's really careful, and and uh, his presentation was about why BB Edit is leaving the App Store. And what he what he, the way he framed it was: let me list all the reasons we're not leaving the App Store. And then he gave about twenty minutes of all of the pain points of having a Mac, having an app in the Mac App Store. And there there are so many, and you people have heard a lot of them. I mean, there are complaints about about uh, Apple taking a thirty percent cut. Although Rich said, look, you know, they're they're serving it, they're doing all the credit card transactions, they're handling all the taxes, there are lots of things you get for that. And he says he actually thinks it's a pretty good deal. He, he's not a fan of the complete severing of the relationship between the developer and the customer, where it's, they're Apple's customer, you don't even know who they are. Um, the uh, There are marketing challenges, um, having to control when things drop in the, in the, in the app store um, and setting things ready to go can be difficult. Um, the submissions guidelines are problematic. You know, sandboxing your app. They, BB Edit has a bunch of command line tools that come along with it, and they had to make that available as a separate download for Mac App Store customers to download from their website and install because they couldn't put it in the install because it's not allowed and stuff like that. Where they have to they have to overhaul features. Their whole product, your Jimbo, they basically had to pull out of the Mac App Store because they couldn't get it, the syncing to work with iCloud, and they had to write their own syncing uh, system and do it on their own. And uh, and then there's the tool chain, which is like all the issues with um, building apps and getting them to verify and be signed properly. And there are bugs involving that, but everything's got to be signed to be submitted to the Mac App Store. And then you submit it. And, and uh, he told a story about how after a week they checked because they realized they had not heard anything any either way from Apple about the submission. And they... and. Uh, it turned out that their um, their submission had silently crashed the submission tool, and so nothing happened. Like literally, just nothing happened. And Apple was like, "Oh yeah, uh, yeah, you just killed the tool, and so we lost that." And so then they had to resubmit it and work with Apple and make sure that it didn't crash Apple's tools. Um, so he listed all these things, and what was really great about it is he said, um, "You know, I mean, it was clear as he was going that these are this is this accumulation of problems." He said, the problem is a lot of these things happen right at the most uh, pressure-filled part of being a software developer, which is what he likened it to max Q, which is that that term when uh, 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 there's the most atmospheric stress on a flying vehicle. Like uh, when I went to the space shuttle launch, I mean, there's a moment of max Q where, um, and it's not actually the fastest point because the higher up you go, the thinner the air is. But there's that moment where you're going fast in thick atmosphere, and that's like the biggest pressure point and he said look max q for developers is when you're about to ship your product because you've got to line up your pr and you got to crush bugs and you're, you know you're planning everything communicating with your customers about the updates and the upgrade paths and all of that stuff and he said the problem is so many of these things are at that point at where we're all we're already under under pressure and, and then he took a step back and and this is one of the things i really like about about rich siegel he what he didn't say is so apple 
you know, this is Apple's fault. Apple ruined it for us. We're out. Instead, what he said is, look, we looked at the stress and saw what, uh, and Bare Bones is a very small company. It's mostly rich and, and a few employees, but, um, and, and what he said is, this is bad for my quality of life. Like, this is ca- causing a lot of stress. It's causing a lot of working through the weekends. It's causing a lot of extra work and stress in my life for not enough benefit. And so in the end, the reason we're leaving the Mac App Store is not because Apple is bad, because Apple's screwed up all these things. Apple can do what it wants. It's like, it's not them, it's me, is essentially what he said is. We looked at it and said it's not worth it for us. And I thought that was a good way to frame it because it doesn't come across as we should be in there, but they blew it. And so now we're out of here. We're taking our ball and going home. It was very much like uh, for for us in our situation with our company, with our product, we did the calculation. And he's speaking to a bunch of developers. who. And so the, I think under underlying this is him saying to everybody else, you should consider whether it's worth it for you. And it might be. And he gave a, a few reasons why for certain apps, Mac App Store is probably worth it to stay. But for him personally, he did the math and it wasn't worth it. So um, I think... I think what makes this interesting is that four years ago, we didn't really know how the Mac App Store was going to go. And I think a lot of Mac developers were really excited about the prospect that uh, App Store, the go-go iOS App Store was going to come to the Mac and apps were going to be huge. And I think we all thought that. And it hasn't been as big a thing as I think we expected it to be. And a lot of developers have found frustration with these these issues of giving up control and it's understandable why Apple might want them to give up control. But in the end, a lot of them, I think have decided, um, or at least some of them have decided it's not worth giving up that, that control. So, you know, in the end, BBN is just going to go back to being sold on bare bones website. And anybody who bought on the Mac app store can pay an upgrade price. That's the standard upgrade price to upgrade to the new version outside the app store. And, uh, you know, and on the Mac App Store, they'll keep selling little utilities and games and all the stuff that continues to fill the App Store and probably won't make much of a dent on that kind of momentum. But, you know, it, it, it I definitely saw a lot of people nodding, right? So I know that there are frustrations here. And, um, you know, hopefully Apple will address them. Rich definitely said, it's not like I'm, I'm saying I'll never be back. It, things could change and it could be worth it again. But right now, the in the in the balance... It's not worth it. And, you know, what would make it worth it? I I would say if the Mac App Store was incredibly successful at selling his app, that would make it more worth staying. So I think the implication here is also that his app, which is a higher-priced professional app, uh, you know, didn't really get a lot of benefit either from being in the Mac App Store. And so that that is part of that equation too. Clearly, this is... Well, this is an important developer, at least in, in our world, um, who's kind of putting their stake in the ground and saying, we don't, we just don't want to do with this anymore. Do you think that this is, do you think this is a sign of a bigger problem or do you think that this is something that is particular to Bare Bones? No, I mean, these problems exist. And I think Rich's point is it's not uh, going to be enough of a problem for uh, for some and it's going to be plenty of a problem for others. Rich's tools are complicated and they use Unix integration and therefore they're professional tools and it's a bigger problem. But these are the these are the same issues that App Store uh, iOS App Store developers deal with a lot of times that Apple's backend tools aren't very good. The problems in the tool chain. There are lots of rules in the App Store that are frustrating and inconsistently applied. 
um, that harm the product experience that, um, that, and again, there are two sides to that. They, you know, Apple's also looking out for customers and saying, look, we don't think we want to let you do this for, for good reasons sometimes. But the, the way that the rules often get applied can be really frustrating where a feature can be perfectly fine and then somebody else sees it and says, sorry, this feature isn't fine. Even though it was already approved, now you know, we're, we've decided that, that we're not going to approve it. So, um, you know, the App Store is a fr- constant frustration for developers. And in most cases, it's worth it. I think Rich was saying uh, Mac developers have the luxury of saying it's not worth it and taking their ball and going home. iOS developers don't have that luxury at all. Um, so what do you do? You hope that Apple um, changes its ways a little bit and fixes some of these issues. And I think Rich, I think I think people pay attention to these sorts of things. And I'm sure people at Apple know what he said and maybe that'll affect some change and maybe it won't. Um, and Richard's the way he gave his talk is really good because you know, he, he didn't come out. It didn't come out as an attack and it was really sort of just a, a pretty cold, like laying out of what the issues are and saying for us, we, we, we couldn't, we couldn't make it work. So I think somebody from Apple could pick up the phone and talk to rich about it and they would be in a pretty good place because he wasn't, you know, kicking and screaming and taking his ball and going home as much as just saying, look, I just did the math and it doesn't work for us. Um, and that allows somebody from Apple to come to him theoretically and say, um, we're sorry you feel that way. W- you know, what can we learn from this experience that we can make our products better? And I hope that happens. Our products for developers, I suppose. This is one of the challenges is Apple has such finely crafted products for, for consumers. On the developer side, yeah, not so much. It's kind of more frustrating and a mess for developers. Do you feel that we just go around in circles with this? Like especially the Mac App Store. I, well, I, I would say it comes in cycles because um, the App Store is better than it was. I mean, they have improved a lot of stuff, but there's still stuff to improve. So you get the waves of frustration. And and some of this is, is you know, after four years, Rich is, I mean, Rich has written about Mac's uh, App Store problems and iCloud problems for a while now. This is nothing new, uh, but this is sort of the latest the latest story. And, you know, they, they decided a long time ago to do this. I think he just decided that since he was speaking at Singleton, it would be a good opportunity to kind of go through their thought process about why they did it. You mentioned iOS a moment ago. I saw an interesting exchange uh, between Paul Haddad from Tatbots and Russell Ivanovich from uh, Shifty Jelly. Yes. Where Paul was linking to your post and saying, you know, I wonder how many iOS devs would leave the App Store if it was a practical choice. Like, if they could do it, basically, because they can't. Now, Russell, who obviously also develops for Android, and there's there's a conversation that continues, but I just, I thought his response was interesting, was, like, everyone would like to, but nobody would. Like, and his, his reason that he, well, his, his reasoning for saying this is that with Android, you can distribute your applications on your own, but nobody does it, unless they have a clear reason, which means they cannot be in the store. Right. I, I mean, my understanding is that the Android, uh, that the Google Play Store is not as difficult to navigate as the as the iOS app store is. Uh, the restrictions are less and the freedom for apps to do things is greater. So that's one reason why nobody does it. But I anticipate that it would be kind of like it is with the Mac app store now, which is lots of stuff would be in the, in the iOS app store still because it's easy and normal people are not going to go outside it and flip that switch that says allow third-party apps to be installed by other sources, right? Most people wouldn't do that if that was there. Um, but probably a market of more complicated things that really require full access would spring up, but it would never be the mainstream. 
it would it i i think that's probably true so you know i i think i think they're right i i i know a lot of developers would love to try um but i i it would never be the main way that people got stuff it would be it would be for you know just like on the mac app store there are there are some apps that just can't be in the in the mac app store and those are good apps and so if you want them you have to go outside and so you do if you want to get um like a hard drive cloning utility like uh like super duper or carbon copy cloner you don't think you can do those in the mac app store because they require full disk access and breaks all the security protocols so you go out and buy that on your own but um but i think i I think he's got a point that um that it might be a little different because of the way google play filters versus the way apple does but uh but yeah it would be very hard to go out on your own Russell carries on and he says uh, he loves Google Play one hour from submit to distribution. <laughs> and I know people who've been waiting weeks for their uh, yep. updates to get through the Mac or to the iOS app store. And you can you can have a fruit you can distribute betas through the app store to users as well, which is a really interesting thing to test yeah, well, your application so, scale. So a- Apple a- added that um, in iOS eight, and everybody was really excited because they bought Test Flight. Yep. And uh, one of the fine print things is if you want to distribute it outside of your little core group to a larger beta group, it has to be it has to go through app review. They have to which approve it. Your betas insane. have to be imp- approved by Apple, which is completely insane. So, yeah, yeah. There, <laughs> there you are, have to get an application through review, which could mean, I guess, means no critical bugs. Well, I'm sorry, but that's something that happens. It's like, beta. you know, it's it, that 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 was a real surprise to see, and it it's something that surprised me. They've not, they've not changed it since. I, I, I can see why Apple are doing it because there will be people that take advantage of it. However, there are currently people that take advantage of some of the enterprise distribution stuff. So exactly, y- you kind of just have to embrace it because if you want developers to use these tools you need to you need to give them something where there's no option like if you want people within the ecosystem if you want your developers to really do it give it to them um otherwise you know people are going to continue using hockey app which is which is great i mean uh, it's good because hockey didn't go out of business right that was the concern is that it would just be it for them (laughs) every time people say has apple sherlock x usually sherlock is looks much more like the exception than that that proves the rule that um whenever apple does a feature it is a simple uh narrow feature and there are always rooms around the margins for the people who want more control and and yeah so hockey app is going to continue as long as long as Apple's got things like you have to get approval to get a beta, then hockey app's going to have a place. And uh, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a funny it's a funny thing. Uh, I I find it Apple's changing in a lot of where a lot of ways in a lot of areas. And and I think one of the things that's going on here is a lot of people are hoping maybe this will be a way that Apple will change, and we'll just have to see. Um, I'm not really encouraged by the fact that somebody made the decision that betas have to go through app review because that's just stupid that is stupid why that that murders that feature that feature is dead who will use that feature it's stupid it it it, it to put your beta through app review what developer is going to want to sit on a beta while somebody looks at it plus app review is not even um is backed up by weeks already 
Um, yeah. and, 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 and that goes back to significant, Apple. Any significant change also needs to go for review. Why would you do that? Like, yeah. why so, would you so, do it? Well, I, I think, and this is a scale problem with Apple. It's like, look, Apple, if you want to be complete control freaks and improve everything in your store because you really want that level of curation, great. Um, don't make your developers wait two, two weeks. Don't, right? Do one or the other. And for a while, it hasn't been a problem. Right now, it's a problem because of iOS 8 being released that there was a, there was a huge backup. But um, the, so they should probably hire more people to do app review. <laughs> One, I think that would be a good idea. And two, asking developers to, to put their beta apps through app review seems just ludicrous to me. But oh well, because we were all really excited at the idea that you could associate 100 Apple IDs or whatever it was thousand apple ids i don't know a decent number of apple ids not device ids with um with a with your beta process and then ha- send the betas out and then the, the the shoe dropped which is oh and we need to approve your betas for that uh which is too bad because i mean the the other thing that's going on here if people don't know is that uh an account can be associated with 100 ud ids to do betas um, and those are individual device ids which means like a few weeks ago when everybody got an iphone 6 all of their uh, all their devices changed, and um, you can only have a hundred devices associated with your account for beta testing. And when you remove a slot, it uh, stays there for a year. So uh, it was really exciting when they said, "Look, forget that. Associate with Apple IDs instead." But the the beta the beta clearance thing is dumb. So I don't yeah, know. Every time a new device comes out, it's like it's it's terrible for for testers and developers because either either you've planned for it which means you can't have many testers in the first place or you've not planned for it and then you can't do any more testing <laughs> because everybody buys new phones and yeah I, I mean it must be like a, a paranoid reaction to the idea of of um the beta approval must be like oh well then they can they can they're essentially selling it they're broadly making it available and we need to check and make sure that there isn't mm-hmm. malware or something like that and it's like you know it's a beta it's a beta it's not in the store. It is being controlled by a developer. You know who the developer is. They know they have a relationship with the developer that they know they're getting a beta. I I just I don't see. So this is one of those areas where I w- I'm disappointed to see that Apple hasn't changed. That 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 is a that is a prime level of paranoia to suggest that we're going to check everybody's betas and approve them before launch. It just seems unnecessary to me. I don't see why. I don't see who needs to be protected there. They're all consenting adults. Should be fine. Elephant in the room. There is an Apple event this week. Yes, as we speak, we're uh, less than forty-eight hours from an Apple event. Fantastic that you're going. I am going. I got an invitation. That was very. That was a real question. Was are they going to want to invite the guy who doesn't work at MacWorld to an Apple event? And they invited me, which is very nice. So I will be there. I'm, I'm very pleased for you. I'm very pleased for us. Uh, as well, you can't come. You were not invited, <laughs> I, Mike. I know, I know. I, I try, but, but we can it, talk about it afterward exactly. on our show that's cleverly placed on Mondays, usually, so that we can be right before Apple events. Although this is a Thursday event, so it's not so bad. Yeah, so we'll be talk- we'll be discussing it on Monday. Um, yes, but you're going to be covering the event live for Six Colors, right? I, in some form, I will be covering it. I will be there. I will write things. I will tweet things. Um, I'm trying. So we used live blog software at Macworld. We use Cover Live, and 
I was part of a, like a multi-thousand dollar contract to use them. And uh, most of the live blog platforms are like that. Uh, there used to be like a, a, a free tier and then like a cheap tier. And now the way that the pricing works, essentially, if I got, if I, a whole bunch of people, if thousands of people were like, oh, Jason's still live blogging, we'll go there. I would, I would get a bill for thousands and thousands of dollars, which I am not going to pay. Um, so, and then they, then they put me in prison. So that's not, that doesn't work. So um, I'm Don't looking go to at live, prison for live blogging, I, Jason. I know, no, live blogging is its own prison. Um, I, I've been looking for open source live blogging software. Uh, there's not very much of it and it's not very good. Um, so much live blogging software is just polluted with, I mean, nobody does live blogging anyway, so it's been polluted with all these other features of like, you know, Twitter streams and, uh, weather and scores and other stuff like that. I don't even know. It's a, it's a, it's not a very good market. So I found a, I found a thing that's a hosted service that's free, which just gives me the heebie jeebies because I don't know who these people are. I don't know how they're making money. I don't know why they offer it. Um, it seems to work. So I'm probably going to embed it on six colors and try to live blog from it, but I'm going to, I'm going to like make no guarantees that it'll actually work. And I may end up going back to just having a post that I update every now and then and, and post things on Twitter. Um, because, uh, I don't have a lot of faith in, I I would really like something that is reasonably priced that I could pay for and feel like this I'm paying for a service. Um, unfortunately my choices now are this thing that's free or things that cost thousands of dollars. So I'm going to probably go with a thing that's free. Hope it doesn't crash. Hope it doesn't, uh, I don't know, inject really weird ads in the middle of the coverage or something. And we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm just going to throw this out there, uh, a dedicated Twitter account and just embed that on the page. Uh, I do have a dedicated Twitter account. Can I just embed that like a like a stream from that, and would it update automatically? I bet it would. Well, I'll look into that. Storify's got a, a live blog uh, feature now that I was really excited about, and then I read that it's part of the Storify, you guessed it, enterprise uh. level of service, and I'm not going to. Maybe someday. I aspire to have the budget for the enterprise level account, but I don't. I'm sure you could just embed your, your Twitter I'll stream on the page I, in I, some way. I, I did create a six colors live blog account. There you go. There you so, go. See, just go with that. Roll with so it. So I'm still exper- experimenting with that, and there is this there is this live blog platform embed that that, that did work. So I might do that. Um, uh, we'll see. We'll see. But but people should go on the day of the event. Go visit sixcolors.com. I'll be there. I'll write some things about it during probably and then after. I do love that Gruber just sits there with his pencil and his field notes notebook and writes things down and doesn't have to type. Um, and just gets to experience it and consider it. Um, but I don't know. I feel I, like I, I need to break this to you. You don't have to do this. Like, yeah, you well, know no. that now, right? You don't, I, well, you don't that, have this, to do this. This is what I'm saying, is I could be like Gruber and just sit there with a notebook and a pencil as, like, as analog as possible and just ponder what it all means. And I, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm considering that as an option too, but I kind of... I don't know. I, I think I would kind of miss it if it went away. They they are live streaming it apparently, so uh, that takes the pressure off a little bit. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. So why, we'll see. Why would you do it? Like, surely your intentions are different to what they were well, at MacWorld. I I type really fast, and so it's an advantage I have over people. And I do have an audience of people who remember that I do a live blog of Apple events, and so I could do it. And a lot of the things that I've been doing now are me asking the question, like, is this a thing I want to keep doing? And um, over time, I imagine that some of the things that I decided, yes, I do want to keep doing it, I'll be like, oh, 
nah, let's not do that. And this is the first one where I'm really, I really don't know whether the right thing to do is do a live blog as it happens. Uh, just because why not? And people, people who will see six colors who might not otherwise know that it exists, but will find out, Oh, Jason has a live blog and he's doing that on his site. I didn't know he had that site. Maybe there's some possibility there. Um, if, if I, if I do it, I'll get, I'll let uh, Dan Morin will, will uh, dial in and do some color commentary, oh, which would be, be nice. Fun. Cause we, you know, cause he's not going to be there and that's going to be sad. Um, I don't know. So I'm, I'm still, I'm still, uh, it's still up in the air. I may, I may give it a try. I may get frustrated and decide I'm going to go all, uh, you know, pencil or at the very least I'll do some tweeting, but, uh, that might yeah. be, the, that might be the live blog, uh, I can do it. There's just that question of do I really want to want to play that game or not. It's hard to give that up, though. I mean, I've done them all for a long time, but it's also a lot of work, and you do miss stuff because you're too busy typing and uploading pictures and stuff. Talking about playing games, predictions. Can I can I ask you for some predictions? What do you, what do you think that we're going to see? Well, the rumors are all out there that there's going to be new iPads and. Um, and there's going to be uh, a ship date or probably just shipping Yosemite. And then there'll probably be some new Macs uh, that will be uh, part of the Mac story is Yosemite and some new systems that are going to ship with Yosemite. The big rumor is that there'll be a Retina iMac, which is very exciting. I'm interested to see what that what form that takes. That would be our first Retina Mac desktop. Um, and as somebody who has thought about eventually getting a Retina uh, a retina display for my desk someday. Um, I never really imagined it would be on iMac, but I listened to that and I think, well, it's probably going to be really expensive, but um, I'm looking forward to seeing what the, what they do if they do a retina iMac. And then I'm hoping that maybe the Mac mini will get bumped as well. And, uh, but, but we got a, there was a story this week in recode, John Pakowski, um put to bed the rumor that the, the much rumored uh, retina MacBook air would would come at this event that's not going to happen so is, i mean my predictions are that the rumors will probably be true because they usually are and uh and then i hope the mac mini gets a bump although it's possible that that won't happen till next year because intel's in the middle of a chip transition right now but i would really like to buy a mac mini um and i'm not going to buy the one that's two years old so that's just me being selfish are we gonna new ipads okay what is in a new iPad. Like, what are we going to see? Like, are we just going to see the same form factors with, what, NFC in them? Uh, touch ID? Uh, well, Touch ID for sure. NFC is in the phones this year, so if it's like Touch ID, we would get that in the iPads next year. And I think there's a lot less need for Apple Pay. Right now, the, right now the NFC stuff is just Apple Pay. So how many people are paying with their iPad for something? So something I've seen people say, and, and, and it's, it's a reason, but I don't know if I buy it, which is that people could use them for point of sale terminals. I don't oh, know yeah, if yeah. that's enough of a reason to to do it. I feel like it's oh, and they need the software, and I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I feel know. like I, it's a, it, that's not really a world that Apple necessarily needs to get into. I feel much more positive about the Touch ID stuff. I think there's a I think there's a great question about uh, whether they go you know if there's if there's an iPad Pro at some point probably not at this event and uh, what happens with the Mini um, I love my iPad Mini uh, the iPad it'll be really interesting to see what they say about the iPad because iPad sales have slowed 
they are they're not growing anymore and i think i think people are wondering you know what's the role that that a tablet plays in people's lives now because the the um you don't buy a new one every every year or two they they have a longer life and they we've got bigger phones now and we've got lighter laptops and where where does the tablet fit and i think it would be interesting to see what apple says about the ipad just what the words are um normally i mean there'll be a there'll be an investor call the analyst call the next week where we'll all read the tea leaves about what Tim Cook says there when they say, can you give me a little more color about the iPad? And he'll say, this is Tim. Yeah, we like the iPad. And that'll be, I just reenacted it for you. You don't need to listen to the call now. It's pretty um, good actually. But I want to, I want to see that. I right? I want, I want to see what they say. Cause that, then if you're into Apple Kremlinology, most of the Kremlinology about Apple is stupid, but that kind of stuff where it's like when, like when Tim Cook said, uh, wearables is an area of interest for us right it's like they they do table setting they're going to talk about the ipad and try to put it in a in a favorable light of like here's what we think the ipad is going for and maybe they'll just come out and say oh the ipad is great everybody loves it it's awesome it keeps selling a lot here's some new ones goodbye uh but they may say they may have a take on like what role tablets play and why the ipad i mean it'll all be why the ipad is so great but they may have an interesting insight into their philosophy about what they're trying to do with this product line and that that could be really interesting so i would look for that because i feel like everybody's looking a little bit more for a raison d'etre for um there's some french for montreal uh, about of the ipad and of tablets in general because there's been this hubbub about like tablets have not taken off like smartphones did which is not surprising but it's true and uh, so what, you know, what do they say about the iPad? I would look, I would look for that. And, uh, I, and, you know, as a Mac guy, I, I'm encouraged by, you know, I want to see what they have to say about the Mac too, because that's all, it's always nice when they do an event and there's a, there's Mac stuff at it. That doesn't happen that often. And this will be, we'll get that because we'll get Yosemite and we'll get some new, new Mac news. And I, 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 and we can take a bet about whether they boast about the thinness of the, of the iMac, which is the most pointless statistic ever because you don't actually like carry an iMac anywhere so it doesn't really need to be that thin we but can make it super thin on the edge just the edge yeah of course but so it's so thin, thin it'll cut you don't move it just leave it there look how thin the keyboard is but and, and it's at apple's campus this time so that'll be kind of fun to go um go on thursday morning to apple's campus and i will report back mike i'll report back to you about what's Thank going you. on afterward i'll let you i'll give you a call uh, maybe next monday and we'll uh, we'll break it all down <laughs> then. But uh, I'm looking forward to going, and I'm really I'm really glad that they uh, that they invited me because that was uh, I made no assumptions about that. Uh, but it'll be cool to be there, uh, even though I'm not at MacWorld anymore. Don't forget, listeners, we may we may be late by Monday, but we will have a guy who's touched the hardware. Don't forget that. That's what yep. we're getting, Jason. Hands on, hands I hope so. on with Jason Snell. They, you know, they may say, "Oh, Jason." We're glad you got here, but you can't go in the hands. <laughs> you have to just. That's for right real out. media people. Actually, you can just stand outside and look through the window. Just just through the window, and you can you can breathe on the window if you like. But right. nothing more than that. Yeah. Last thing. Any reason for Thursday? Do you think Thursday seems like a strange day these days? It's, well, it's quite late in the week, and I don't. I don't know. I I don't know. Um, I don't know. They they. They may have been concerned about the uh, people traveling over the Canadian Thanksgiving weekend, <laughs> which was last weekend. That's a real stretch. <laughs> I know. I, I honestly don't know. It's it's and they're doing their corporate results the following week. So I I don't I don't know. I think they just 
I, I don't get it. Maybe somebody had a somebody's kid had a piano recital on the Tuesday, so they moved it to Thursday. I really I have no idea. I, this is where my Apple Kremlinology falls in the in the tank. Is because I, with I, it I, being I the faintest idea, you know, with being on campus, could be they anytime. Could just they could do it. They could do it Monday at midnight. You know, it doesn't yeah. make a difference. I hate to say it, but it's possible that Tim Cook or another senior executive had like a speaking engagement somewhere in China or Europe or something on the Tuesday, and they're like, "God, we should do it that week. That's the perfect week." But we can't. And and they said, "Well, we could do it Thursday. It could be something that pedestrian." I have to yeah. say, where it's like that's that's the day where we have no other encumbrances, but it's not Friday when nobody's paying attention. You know, it's got to be Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, and we can do it that Thursday. But I I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe the Yosemite people were like, no, every day counts. Please give us till Thursday to ship the Golden Master number five. Maybe. One, sorry, one very, very last thing. This will be the last thing now. Sure, sure, Mike. There's been a lot of uh, public complaint about iOS 8 recently and stability and things like that. Do you think Apple will address anything like this at all at the event? Or do they just pretend like nothing's happening? Seems unlikely. Although they may... um if they do it, it's going to be, oh, and this is the thing I think they will roll out is I think they'll roll out Apple Pay because they said that was coming in, in October or they'll say they're rolling it out and they'll say, yeah. oh, iOS 8, iOS 8 is great. People love it, <laughs> right? Because I'll always say that we, look yep. look how many people have downloaded it. Yeah. Um, but uh, they might say, and we've got a new version, 8, iOS 8.1 that will be coming out next week and it'll enable Apple Pay and it'll uh, it'll also address some issues that our customers have had and aren't we great? I mean, they may do it like that. That that would be a way to address the, that there are some issues without dwelling on it and kind of spinning it positively by saying, um, you know, and Apple Pay, which is awesome, right? So it wouldn't surprise me if there's some announcement like that, but that's how they would phrase it. They're not going to apologize for bugs. Um, that almost never happens. But uh, sure. but I, I, that, I think that's a scenario where they might address iOS 8 by talking about 8.1 and explaining that maybe it's got some fixes in it as well i want to buy some things with apple pay so there's a whole show about that me telling you the story of me buying peanut butter with apple pay i want to hear what the experience is like yeah all right maybe next week and i'll get my kindle in the next week or two too so we still got (laughs) that shine on kindle dreamers it's gonna happen it's it's gonna be like john syracuse talking about his tivo it's gonna be jason talking about his kindle Woo! stay tuned that show will happen it'll be episode 94 in two years stay tuned for the thrilling conclusion yes if you want to catch the show notes for this week's episode of upgrade take yourself point your web browser over at relay.fm slash upgrade slash five if you would like to stay tuned to jason's incredible coverage or not upcoming over at sixcolors.com and he has a little a uh, little button there where you can press apple event it will take you straight to the dedicated Apple event page. Indeed. It's so professional. Uh, that's I'll teach. Um, I got an email from our friend Federico Vatici who said, "He said, Jason, I'm going to do my Federico Vatici now. Okay. Jason, you you need to have a page for for the event on your site. And and I said, that's a good idea, Federico. And I made a page. So all, all hats, hats off to Federico. And there's also a Yosemite page there because I anticipate I will have lots of things to say about Yosemite too. So I, I, those are my, these are my experiments with when you build a site entirely yourself, you have that moment of like, oh yeah, I should have a page for that. How do I do that? But there, it's, the, it's there. So thanks to Federico for suggesting it. Guy's an entrepreneur. He re- he's, he's always thinking. He can't, there's no off on, on his switch. He's just always on. 
And if you would like to catch Jason on Twitter, he is at Jasonell, J-S-N-E-L-L. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks again to our sponsors for this week, Dash and Pilot. You want to go and check those guys out. We'll be back next time. Bye-bye. Ahoy, telephone.